This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by old friend Neil Payne of Hot Takedown and 538, a great sports website that you should go check out if you have not already done so. Neil, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, Chase. Uh, I'm doing good. How are you? I am great. It, the weather's good. It's nice and hot. Get my outdoor runs in every day again. I mean, I'm I'm just fighting through the pollen and the bad air. But outside <laughs> of that, you know, it, I think that uh, makes you better. It makes you more equipped for the the new world, the post pandemic world. I'm I'm ready for it. What about you? Yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed that you know. So with with all of the new uh, CDC guidance, I've sort of uh, stopped wearing my mask. You know, outside. Uh, unless I feel like I'm like too packed close to people want to respect their boundaries, of course, but generally just walking around, uh, wearing it less. And I gotta be honest, uh, it was actually preventing my allergies from kind of, uh, flaring up. I was sort of like, do I feel more stuffed up? Do I feel, you know, kind of groggy sluggish uh, after that? Uh, and so I think there's something to be said for wearing the mask beyond just COVID. It, It was giving us the benefit of, uh, blocking pollen, I think. Yeah, I think the vaccine needs to come with like a pollen portion. Oh, if it. only. Can we, yeah. can we, can we double that? Can we make up? that can happen? <laughs> yeah. Just like a, a dose of Allegra for every vaccine dose. That that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil, how much, uh, how much NBA action have you gotten through? There's a lot of stuff I'm picking and choosing. How do you, because it's easy to get overwhelmed, I think, with just the amount of content and just like the Clippers and Lakers played at the same time last night. And you're just like, I can't, like I was up till two watching the Lakers Last night, and I watch a lot of my stuff, uh, unless it's the Hawks or the Braves or teams that I very much uh, emotionally invested in, then I'm watching that live so it doesn't get spoiled for me. But like, I try and avoid Twitter and everything so I can go into it blind. And I just, I don't watch it live. Um, what are, what do you do? Do you pick and choose which games you're going to focus in solely on, or are you someone who bounces around and watches a little bit of everything? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where, you know, I'll I'll watch a lot of stuff time delayed or at this point, you know, with so much going on, because, you know, I write about baseball, I write about hockey, uh, write about basketball still. I mean, we're really in the peak moments for a lot of these things. So, yeah, I'll kind of and also getting older. A lot of these games are past my bedtime, man. <laughs> I, I just absolutely cannot stay up for these West Coast games always. So, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of check them out, uh, you know, the high points and everything uh, the next morning uh, and watch the highlights and everything. That's kind of what it's been reduced to. So I'm going to be happy when, you know, later in the playoffs, as they kind of cull down the number of games, more teams get eliminated. Each game has a little bit more space to breathe for itself. Uh, th- that's when I um, sort of lock in more on specific games. But usually I've got, uh, you know, like multiple windows because I'll stream a lot of things, too, through like uh, cable. So I'll have like 
a window with a with a NBA game on, and I'll have another window open with a NHL playoff game on, and, and just try to kind of have both of those things going at once. I'm not sure how useful that multitasking is for uh, kind of keeping up with the details in yeah. each one. It's sort of like uh, more to have on in the background, and then sort of be like, oh. This game seems like it's headed in an interesting direction. Maybe, you know, uh, pay a little bit more attention to that one. Uh, but then it's like, oh, Shohei Otani is up or Vlad Guerrero Jr. is up. So I have to, uh, you know, have like a, a baseball window open, too. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of sports. But I've learned from last year to never, ever again take that for granted, never complain about it, never say any ill words about, you know, there being too many sports happening because, um I think we'll always remember the times in which there were literally no sports happening, and that was a lot worse than having too much of a good thing to keep up with. I'm still going to complain, Neil. <laughs> Don't do it. You'll you'll jinx it. No, we're not going back. What are the odds? What are the odds? I'll <laughs> knock on wood of back to back pandemics. What are what are oh, the odds? God. I I'm just overwhelmed. Like certain things are just in the back burner for me, and I just don't like feeling like I am not up on a certain thing that i need to be you know what i mean i don't like not knowing i don't like just reading stuff and being like okay i think i have a good feeling on this but i haven't watched enough or i haven't seen enough i mean thankfully there's a lot of good uh stuff to keep up with online and there's a lot of good like mlb.com's website's really good i love going through their stuff early in the morning so i can parse through everything and they it's just clean perfect interface like mba.com sucks like i (laughs) it, it drives me up the wall at how bad it is and it should be like mlb.com nhl.com also great like it's just streamlined it's really easy to get through there's the latest you can go through everything it's just it's easy it's quick great website both of those are great keep up the great work folks i i love you over there on those two websites and <laughs> now i will say yeah <laughs> i will say at this point with uh so i spend most of my time at nba.com under nba.com slash stats big mm-hmm. surprise uh and it is like super labyrinthine but i feel like it's almost like what's that called when uh, you come to identify with your captors stockholm syndrome <laughs> where like now i'm sort of like i appreciate the the obscurity and yeah. the, um you know the different like uh alleyways that you have to kind of go through to find any given stat oh, on no. that so uh, it, it's almost like um I, I still feel like there are parts of that particular site that are still my little secret because i'm like the only person that's ever dug through this specific like you know, trail of, of things. Now I wish I could leave like breadcrumbs for myself so I could get back to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cause I kind of have to relearn how to, how to find everything. It feels like every time I go on there, but um, yeah, that's where I'm spending the bulk of my time it, when I'm not on basketball reference or, you know, the sports reference sites um, shout out to Sean Foreman and his, his group there, uh, which still I think are the best stat sites on the internet for sports mm. well i mean cleaning the glass is perfect i love cleaning the glass i yeah gotta gotta give give props to cleaning the glass of course very clean website net pardon the, the pun there but it's very clean yeah. easy to navigate a website but also um stat muse is good i've started yeah. using that a lot more as of late it's pretty pretty good uh baseball savant the partnership yes. mlb.com is incredible i love yes. that one yeah, and speaking of ways that you can kind of go down rabbit holes of uh, data, if you, if you go there and you ever find yourself looking at those like custom outputs or the experimental outputs that they have, there's like a whole page where they have, I think it's under visuals, they have just like this long list of things that maybe you'll only use once in your whole life, but it's really cool that they have it and you can kind of get lost in, in there as well. So I'd recommend that. 
to all the listeners. Well, this is good. You, you, they need to like work on data, and you know, like the NBA.com editorial staff, they're big fans of this podcast. You know, so they'll they'll take our our advice. I'm sure. Uh, oh yeah, uh, take take it to heart. Um, look, we just want to be better. I love all these sports. I just would like a more optimized version, so it's easier for all of us and you and I to parse through what we need to parse through. Um, the Atlanta Hawks, they're up one zero. Just a an all time great uh, game one game against New York on mm-hmm. what it feels like forever ago now. Was it Saturday it was night? Sunday, Sunday night? Goodness. Sunday, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, Sunday night now. Um, what did you make of the just the game as a whole? What you took away from it? Like for me, just the ten guys in the Hawks rotation stood out fairly early on. Um, DeAndre Hunter's rust stood out to me. Um, Lou just playing a above and beyond of what i expected with trey off the floor because there were some moments where like nate keeping trey for uh off the floor as long as he did it was like oh this is this is gonna be the takeaway of just the what he was doing there um at the end of the third and the start of the fourth and just the spurts without trey and you're like the generally speaking this is where the hawks go to die is they've never been able to figure out those minutes with trey off the floor and uh, they weren't hitting open looks like the Knicks were killing them on the glass. And uh, Derek Rose just kept finding ways inside and just reverse layup after reverse layup. And Alec Burks couldn't miss. And then you look at like the three straight Spain pick and rolls from the Hawks late in the fourth. And that just laser from Trey into the corner for bogey that's forgotten. And then DeAndre Hunter at the top of the key coming off a of Spain pick and roll as well. But um, what did you make of it? And uh, was it about what you expected? And uh, do you think the Hawks should be considered the favorites in the series going forward? Yeah, well, so you mentioned the pick and roll. That was something that really stood out to me because Trey Young, like we know that he's sort of the, the maestro of that. He led the NBA in points per game off of uh, pick and rolls, at least among ball handlers. He had more than Luka, more than Dame. Uh, and he had 20 points off of pick and rolls in that first game. And like you said, down the stretch, really whether he was scoring, whether he was finding guys, uh, the Knicks didn't seem to really have much of an answer for that, uh, which I thought was pretty encouraging in terms of what their um their game plan is going to be uh over the rest of the series obviously i expect new york to make adjustments off of that the other thing was i liked their defense on julius randall uh he was held to really a very poor shooting game uh in that uh in that game one and the majority of the possessions were spent with john collins stuck on him i think he had really good um on off defensive numbers in that game and that was a big reason why uh but also Gallinari uh did a good job at least in terms of denying Randall uh you know made baskets when he was the primary defender so I liked what they did in terms of those matchups and I'm kind of curious to see what's gonna change going forward because we know you know in an NBA playoff series in particular it's really a chess match uh where it's not about who lands the first punch it's about who has the counter punch and so on and so forth I think the Hawks are favorites. I mean, certainly on paper, if you look at uh, a model like the one that we keep at 538, we give them an 85% chance of winning that series. And a lot of that is winning game one. You know, the team that wins game one does tend, especially um, when they steal away home court, uh, they do tend to uh, go on to win the series more often than not. But also the Hawks are a better team on paper than the Knicks. I think the Knicks played above their head uh, for a lot of the uh, season and uh, some of the statistics didn't quite believe in them. Uh, uh, you know, being as good as they they appeared to be record wise. So I, I think that those are all kind of factors that that play into that number. But it's encouraging for the Hawks, I think, going forward. 
Yeah, there's a lot of encouraging stuff. I think the rotation is going to get shorter. I think Hunter playing well down the stretch was great. Bogey is just the difference with him is is just incredible. Having a healthy Bogey on this yeah. roster, he just helps Trey so much. Um, I am curious to see what happens on the boards though, because the the Knicks are really active and they really went at Capella and Collins, and I'm curious to see what happens there and if the Hawks go small more often when they're offense can't really buy a bucket and they just realize hey if we can't stop them inside anyway why are we playing two bigs um who can't really space the floor all that much i i'm curious to see what nate does there um does your model have a hundred percent chance that the philadelphia 76ers will win the series against the washington wizards (laughs) uh pretty close to it Mm -hmm. actually it's 97 (laughs) percent um which is like it's not surprising you know i think um the the whiz it's been sort of uh, exciting for them, inspiring, whatever you want to see, to see them uh, kind of make it as as far as they have. But, yeah, I don't think many people saw them being that competitive uh, in this series. It is interesting because if you flip it in the West, the 1-8 situation could not be any different. Like, the one eight two seven, like, it's just amazing the East is just so different than the West this year, where, like, the, the top in teams of the West. Like, there is a very, very real chance that the number one and number two seed in the West go down. Has that happened before? I feel like it's never happened in the NBA. I right? don't think it has. And there was a really interesting story. I think Kevin Pelton wrote it um, for ESPN about how this is such an unusual year in the West where the top two seeds have, have not been, uh, like, this is the first time that neither the one nor the two seed has been favored and it's not even close uh, by the betting markets to kind of come out of the conference. We've never seen that happen in uh, any conference in uh, modern NBA history, really. And I think it does speak to just what a what a weird uh, season this was in terms of the teams that actually had the best regular seasons and the teams that kind of paced themselves. Uh, the Lakers, ending up in the in the play-in and having to kind of come through that and then now being the seventh seed um that yeah I, I kind of i don't even know what to make of it necessarily i mean the jazz uh were able to kind of come back and uh assert themselves uh and and the suns i was really impressed with their game one but yeah lebron i believe um he he didn't lose a sing- as a Laker. He's never lost a game coming off of another loss. So I think that tells you something about how um, you know nobody is going to count them out until they are dead and in the ground and and they looked alive and well uh, last night. Yeah, I I don't know. Like the Lakers, like I have a lot of stuff, and we're going to talk to Andrew Gavari about this after this. But I mean, my notes. I I just think it's so fascinating that. Montrezl was not involved and Gasol had a, like a good three at the top of the key uh AD was active early I don't know how much of it was Jay Crowder being gone for almost that entire first half with some crazy fouls that he got called for like just the finger in the eye I think it was on Gasol for his third start the second and then um the one just early on in the the first quarter where AD kicked him in the nuts <laughs> and it was just a weird start to the game and then I don't know. I was looking at it, and obviously Chris Paul's shoulder's not great. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris Paul being on versus off the court is one of the biggest factors, I think, in in that game and in the series so far, if you look at the differential for the Suns. 
Well, it's interesting when you watch them because like Aiton, all he, he's dunking now. Remember, like wasn't it last year that he just he was averse to being inside and doing those kind of plays and dunking the basketball and just like, hey, stay inside, stop taking these weird elbow jumpers and avoiding contact. And um, he's evolved a lot, I think, uh, in year two under Monty. But like, you look at the way they play, and Booker will float. Like, that is something I'd written down, where Booker will float, where they, like, Cam and Chris Paul want to drive, and they want to find Mikael Bridges in the corner, or find whoever in the corner, or just draw a foul, because they were drawing a lot of fouls last night, and that was good, but, like, Booker will float, and I wonder sometimes, I'm like, uh, you're down, and, like, they just, they need to, they can't lose certain minutes, where, like, I think there was a stretch where Schroeder had three straight uh, possessions where he scored, and I want to say THT had a bucket during that possession too, but it was like, no, Booker was on the floor and LeBron and AD weren't doing anything. And I think one of them were out too. Like you can't lose those minutes against the Lakers. You cannot go on like a, a an 8-0 run with Schroeder and THT in a playoff game. Like you, you can't lose those minutes. Is that fair? Because like that was something I wrote down. I was like, oh, this is going to come back to bite him. Like you can't let those guys beat you in those crucial four to five minute stretches. I think that's right. I mean, Booker, they were minus 16 with him on the court. And it feels weird to say something about a guy that scored 31 points, second consecutive 30-plus point game. In his first two playoff games, uh, I believe he's one of the only handful of players ever to do that in their first two career playoff games. But uh, yeah, I think that that goes back to what we're saying about the splits with certain players on versus off, where with Booker on the court, 40 minutes, they were minus 16. With Aiton on for four. 42 minutes, they were only minus five. And with Paul on, he was limited to about 23 minutes, but they were only minus two. And with Crowder on, they were plus six. So I think that that speaks to those combinations. And like you were saying, they need to be able to have Booker you know, uh, drive more of the play when he's on the court and maybe some of these other guys are not on the court. Uh, and it was really glaring to me. I mean, Bridges was minus 13 also. So it's sort of, you know, they, they did not do well with that combination either. But yeah, to, uh, Booker can't be the worst player on that team by plus minus and be, you know, a, a double digit negative while playing 40 minutes uh, and them, you know, be able to win that game. I mean, that's sort of the elemental math of, of how they have to win. Yeah, he's got to bring the ball up more. Like, campaign and CP are just bringing the ball up too much. Like, Devin Booker is not getting the ball a lot if he's not bringing it up. Just do the high pick and roll with him and Aiden, and then move Chris Paul in the corner offensively. If his shoulder's not right, like, you just got to move him to the side. And it, But then you look at it, and you're like, okay, what is campaign's game? And it's he's got to drive. He's really good at finding ways inside and drawing fouls and finding guys in the corner and wrapping it around to Aiden or whoever's inside. Like, I understand all that, but, like, man... You can't have Booker floating like that. And I think that's part of the reason that his plus minus was really bad there is he just, he floated and he wasn't active. Um, I, <laughs> I have no idea about one particular series and which way it's going to go. And it's the Blazers and Nuggets. Um, yeah. Coach Thorpe, friend of the pod, has the Blazers the best title odds. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that this week. Uh, oh, interesting he's all in just their health and where they're at. And you look at the West and it's just, that just shows you how crazy the West could be this year. Um, Coach Thorpe knows way more basketball than myself and he's extremely high on them. Um, he's nervous about the Lakers health and all that kind of stuff, which is all fair. You should check it out if you have not already by going to truehoop.com. But uh, I thought it was fascinating and you watch them in game one. You're like, okay, I could see it. I could see it. Dame's playing out of his mind. CJ's healthy. Nurkic is back. They got Roko. They got, 
a healthy bench, Simons, Mello. They have guys like their their rotation makes sense. Um, I I don't hate it, but then you lose game two, and they put Aaron Gordon on Dame in game two. And there's this quote from Malone where he said, "At halftime after the <laughs> after the 32 points in the first half, we said let's have Aaron Gordon guard him. That's one of the reasons we brought AG here. His defensive versatility and obviously embraced it." Um, I think that's huge. Like, do you think that's sustainable though? Do you think AG can cover Dame throughout the course of this series? Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow digital workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Ooh, I, I mean, it's a great question. I love that matchup uh, just because I, I love Aaron Gordon's game and the fact that he's been able to kind of come into a situation where it feels like he's he's being used in a way that I think suits him a lot more and uh, really kind of highlights uh, the things that he does well and puts him in the best position to succeed. Um, so I kind of want it to work. I mean, I love watching Dame do his thing. Uh, so, so just seeing that matchup, I guess, and, and seeing it be competitive, uh, is, is great. Um, I don't know. I, I think the, the other thing is just whether they can kind of whether Portland can continue to slow down Jokic uh, like they did in game one, you know, kind of uh, it, it feels kind of silly to say slow down based on how much he scored, but limiting him as a playmaker, that seemed to be so core to what their strategy was. And it makes so much sense when you're going up against a player like that. But then it didn't really work in game two. And I think that that was kind of the difference between those two games. So yeah, I, I, I think that that chess match with uh, Gordon and Dame and then just also uh, whether or not they can kind of limit Jokic's all-around game, I think is is what uh, to, to watch for in the rest of that series. Um, and I personally, I don't necessarily think Portland can kind of keep that up uh, to beat them uh, three more times, but who knows? Maybe they can. Like you said, uh, Dame is capable of kind of taking over a series and, and willing Portland to victory. So I wouldn't count it out by any stretch of the imagination imagination if you had to do your best odds at getting out of the west one through eight how would you do it right now oh man um geez it's it's a tough question i mean the lakers based on winning that that second game i think i would probably give the best odds 
odds too. And that's, that feels kind of weird given that they, that they're a seven seed and they lost game one. Uh, but at the same time, I've already like penciled them in like that. I don't know if it's an overreaction, but I was like, all right, they, they, they figured it out. They, this is NCP's injury. This is too much. Like the sun. Yeah. And I think it says just so much about where the rest of the West is at, um, in terms of, like a lot of our concerns about the other teams as to whether they were true contenders or just pretenders, like teams like the Jazz, like the Suns, even the Nuggets to a certain degree, certainly the Clippers, uh, that all of those fears have been kind of confirmed, yeah. I, at least in the first you know couple of games. It's, it sounds like a major overreaction, and I think it you know, at least some of those teams are going to turn it around and, and win their series, and uh, at least one of those teams. As I'll say, I don't know which one necessarily, uh, but it feel uh, you know if, if I had to guess, at least one would. But like I don't know, I just don't have a lot of confidence in in any of these other kind of alternative um, uh, answers to the question, right? You know, uh, in terms of who might emerge, like I might put Dallas uh, second. Yeah, you know, I mean Dallas. Just what Luca did last night was was ridiculous. I mean, highlighted by the one footed three and just barking. At Pat Bev after blowing by him um, <laughs> the entire way back down the court was sensational. Um, well, what he's been doing all series long, I mean, yeah. I, I think that um, this is, I, I don't know how much of it is just him rising to the occasion and this is being sort of the series that we've been waiting to, to see, you know, from him. Uh, we, we've kind of known that this type of thing is um, is in the in the offing for him sooner or later. And shout out to Tim Hardaway. He's also, uh, you know, scoring 25 points a game in the series. Uh, and, and they've been kind of getting some support there. But also, I mean, if you're Kawhi and, and Paul George, like, I don't know. Uh, this is kind of a major referendum on the entire idea of this Clippers team. And it's kind of failing right now, like if we're being honest. Yeah, it's what what are the what are the odds saying on five thirty eight right now with the series for the Clippers? Yeah, so uh right now we give Dallas a fifty six percent chance to win, which is probably huh. surprisingly uh low yeah. given the fact that um I saw a stat about teams that win the first uh two games of a uh of a series on uh let's see. So the Mavs became the 32nd team in NBA history to win the first two games of a best of seven series on the road. And of the previous 31, 27 of those went on to win the, the series. So if we're just going off of that uh, and what it tells us historically, um, then, yeah, the 56 percent is way, way, way too low on them. Now, I do think, you know, talent wise, the Clippers are not the normal team to fall down to. Oh, but you got to think with that stat also losing on the road your first two games means that you were the higher seed means that you had the the better record and were theoretically the better team so it's not that much of a um you know kind of departure from the historical norm uh if if we're thinking about the clippers relative to dallas in this series gotta say a little nervous about my nets clippers preseason finals pick i'm a little nervous (laughs) only one half of it I am only nervous about one half. I will say I'm getting a little bit more nervous about the Bucks, um, because I think the Bucks derailing are the, yes. the Nets. Yeah, I, I think that's becoming more and more of a possibility. I'm interested to see how Drew handles um, just what the Bucks like. What the Bucks are going to throw at the Nets, I think, is just going to be so fascinating because like the Nets are playing a lot of 
Claxton and Blake Griffin at the five. Jeff Green's getting like 12 to 15. But like Giannis, I don't know what they're going to do to throw Giannis. Like Bruce Brown, like I don't know how that situation works with Giannis and Brooke and what the just the way Milwaukee plays and what Milwaukee's done in Miami where they've just been like, nope, we're going to run. And we're going to have Bryn Forbes firing quickly with Puget threes. We're going to have shots going up quick and you're going to have to survive. And you're not because you're the Miami Heat and you played a slope face. And what you did to us last year is not happening this year. And it it's interesting. It's been fun to see. And they've just blitzed them. They've blitzed Miami. And I think they are the most equipped to handle Brooklyn in a seven game series. Now, would I still pick Brooklyn? Yes. Do I think the Bucks have a much better chance than I thought coming into the playoffs? Also, yes. Are you are you with me? And I I'm sorry, Sixers fans. I I, I appreciate what you guys are doing, but uh, I don't think you're in the same class in a seven game series. I just don't. Oh I, well. So first of all, I kind of disagree about that. But I know. Uh, we... oh, we've talked before. <laughs> you're a bigger Sixers guy than myself. Yeah, and and maybe some of this is my uh, my time in Philly. Uh, <laughs> you know that bias talking. No, I I think. I'll be fascinated to see that if and when it does happen. I do think the the Nets Bucks thing is just looming because it's you know going to happen sooner. Yeah. Uh, you know I don't want to totally write off uh, or pencil the, the both of them in, but I think it's pretty safe uh, to do that uh, in both of those cases. And yeah, I think the big thing comes down to the Bucks defense, which did slip during the regular season this year. They were first in uh, defensive efficiency um, two years ago, uh, and I want to say each of the previous previous two years um, before this year. Uh, and then this year they're only 10th, but, uh, and the Nets offense is just so dynamite um, that I think that that is going to be an interesting matchup. And in terms of who you throw it at Giannis, I mean, who do you ever throw at Giannis? <laughs> you know, like in some ways you sort of have to pick your poison with that uh, and, and just, you know, I think the Nets are the team that are equipped. I think you're right that uh, the Bucks could pose problems for them, um, especially uh, when when Milwaukee has the ball. I think the Nets' solution to that is just going to be almost like this this race to you know, uh, however whoever gets the last possession, you know, whoever puts the most points on the board wins, uh, and and going that way. Yeah. I I don't know, man. It is going to be interesting. I I just think the two three matchup in the East is going to decide the East. Whoever comes out of that, and just how happy they're going to be, and how confident they're going to be, whoever survives that matchup, and then uh, I don't know. I, I think, think that's I I agree with that in the sense of who you know the the team that comes out of that is by definition going to be so battle tested. Yes, and also sort of like. Uh, if you were running simulations and trying to kind of uh, look at all the possible paths and then pick out the team that does win that, by definition, that team is going to be exceptionally strong. I don't know which team it will be that comes out of that 2-3 pod, but the one that does is just going to be um, so so much strong by definition because they had to go through that test. Uh, that That's sort of one of the reasons why when we do these simulations, we kind of treat each universe as its own sort of separate contained uh, universe. And then um, we give teams credit in, in that uh, situation for like beating the team in the simulation and they get a little boost in their ratings so that it's not like, 
oh, well, the Sixers rating is static and the Nets rating is static and the Bucks rating is static. It's like, no, by definition, in the subset of universes where Milwaukee beats Brooklyn, they have like a super high rating and probably higher than Philly and, and can give them a lot of trouble. So I think that that's a recommendation for how we kind of think about, you know, the, the multiverse of possibilities that um, the NBA playoffs might contain going forward. Yeah, I I'm excited. I also just am not ready for Joel and B to just stomp all over my my team over a seven game series and Ben Simmons on Trey. Uh, I'm yeah. not really excited. Well, you're assuming that. that they that they beat the Knicks uh, yeah. anyway, which like again, I we just said that uh, Atlanta should be favored, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Knicks are a team. I'm always hesitant to write off these teams that sort of the stats can't explain, and I mm. think that 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 New York is one of those teams that. Really, on paper, it's it's been a struggle to explain why they've even made it this far. And some of it is like, well, Julius Randle made the leap to being a star player. Um, but even there, it's like, you know, his his numbers, they're they're really good. I don't think they're in the same neighborhood as like some of the MVP contenders. And it's so tough to kind of decouple Nick's like rational Knicks talk from the New York uh, media, you know, overcooked, whatever you want to call it, uh, atmosphere, uh, that I think that's what makes them a really tough team to kind of tease out the truth of exactly how good they are. They almost won that game. They are in, in a lot of ways. They they maybe should have won that game over the Hawks in, in game one. And then we'd be having maybe a different conversation uh, right now. Yeah, I don't think. Julius Randle will have that kind of game ever again. Like that was just yeah. the all-time bad Julius Randle game, um, right? And also the Hawks will have to figure out some rotation stuff. I think Hunter needs to be more active. Bogey will also not miss that many open shots. And Trey, I think, will get to the line more. Like he just decided to get his his free throws and his shots fourth. And we'll see if he's able to navigate into the lane like that. But there's a, another good piece on ESPN.com about like just the floaters, like the new two pointer. Um, that's just yeah, like, I saw that. Yeah, and that's like Trey's bread and butter. So I don't think they're going to take that away. I think Trey's just always going to be exceptional at that. But uh, we shall see. We shall see. Um, last thing, we'll wrap up here, Neil. Your stats that you that have jumped out to you when you're perusing the the I don't even know what to call this your your NBA.com slash stats <laughs> rabbit hole that you go on where you where you have your breadcrumbs where you have your ants that are coming into play because there are just so many breadcrumbs that you're just attracting all kinds of ants um what have you found in the last few weeks <laughs> well i mean the one thing uh, one big thing that jumps out is just how efficient dallas has been on offense uh, and kind of having their way uh with the clippers they're scoring over 130 points per 100 possessions uh in the playoffs so far and i think these are high scoring playoffs in terms of you know the 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 offensive environment of the nba gets more efficient every year uh with with a bunch of different factors that are way beyond the scope of what we can get into but even by that standard i think these playoffs are particularly high scoring so far, uh, at least per 100 possessions. And even within that, Dallas has kind of stood out. Uh, and then at the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, like we were talking about earlier about Milwaukee's defense, they're the only team that's holding uh, an opponent under 100 points uh, per 100 possessions so far in the playoffs. Every other team uh, is allowing at least 104 points, uh, if not more, per 100 possessions. So to me, that sort of speaks to uh, the what we were talking about earlier about the Bucks defense, and and really that that will be their biggest strength uh, against the Nets. So. You know, those are uh, things that jumped out to me. I would love to see um, the Clippers fight back a little bit just to kind of 
I'm tired of of having the Battle of L.A. be sort of uh, deferred every year. You know, Uh, I I feel like we've been waiting for this uh, LeBron versus Kawhi L.A. showdown type of thing um, for for at least three years. And it just hasn't happened. And the Clippers are the ones that are sort of not holding up their end of the bargain by and large. So, um, yeah, to me, that is is really going to be the question is like, can they slow down Luka? Can they slow down that Mavericks offense, which is hyper efficient and has been for for the past couple seasons? But, man, I want to see more out of them, uh, especially the defensive end. Yeah. I, I'm excited to see what happens there. I, I, I have no idea, but we, we shall see what happens with Paul George. It's back against the wall. You know, uh, as we know, it's going to be great. Nothing. What could go <laughs> wrong with Paul oh George back against the wall? Um, Neil, what can we check out from you across 538.com and the great podcast Hot Takedown this week? Uh, yeah, well, like you said, you, uh, we, you can listen to Hot Takedown at all the various podcast uh, providers. I also wrote a story about Shohei Otani uh, on Monday that uh, you can check out just how great he's been uh, on as both a hitter and a pitcher. It's kind of unprecedented since Babe Ruth. Uh, he's living up to that hype. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to write about uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and the start that he's had. He's the best player in baseball so far, according to wins above replacement so far this season. It's really the breakout that we've been waiting to see from him. So uh, keep an eye on that this week. All right. Well, cue up the great work, my friend. And uh, we will talk again uh, very soon. Awesome. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for having me. Right, the Wednesday edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast rolls on. Old friend Andrew Gavari comes on after two years away. Andrew, your Los Angeles Lakers are back. Things are fine. Chris Paul got hurt. He played 20-ish minutes last night. Didn't really look for his shot. Devin Booker floated on the outside because campaign and CP... Dribbled the ball up the court a lot last night and drove and kick and found eight and inside. And then Booker would float, like I said. Mikhail Bridges had to guard LeBron and then just missed a lot of shots. And AD was active early and got Jake Crowder knocked out of the game for the first half. And then there was this run by Dennis Schroeder where he had, like, I think three straight possessions with a bucket. And THT had a bucket during that stretch. And you're like, oh, you're losing the minutes where... LeBron and AD are doing nothing. This is this is bad. This is bad if you're Phoenix. And just like that, I'm like, yeah, the Lakers are winning in like five or six, six max. It was it was it was a strange game. It was a good game. It was odd in many ways. It was unpredictable in many ways, um, but also predictable in a sense that like it you didn't think the Lakers were gonna lose, but there was that moment where you felt like if they did lose the lead that they'd have the entire game, that there was a chance they might lose. But the, you know, but they're the Lakers in a sense that they relied on on two things to win the game, which was experience and superstars. And sometimes that's enough. You know, some teams can 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 play worse than their opponent and still find a way to win. And then there's other teams that that can't do that, especially if they're playing against a defending champion. And I felt like last night was one of those games where they didn't necessarily play bad. They just, I mean, I think that if you were to break down the 48 minutes and say, who do you think, uh, you know, was better for those 48 minutes? I'd say, like, you could say that Phoenix was better for 28 to 30 of the 48 minutes. And, but that those minutes that the Lakers were better, they did enough to kind of pad it 
where they could, you know, find their spots. Uh, you know, uh, they padded the lead where Phoenix had to really work hard to get back in the game. And then they just kind of handed the keys to their stars and let them take over at the end of the game. And they did. Were you expecting this result from the Lakers in game two? Here's the thing. I, you know, and I didn't know the stat that they showed that, that LeBron in his 14 playoff appearances had never gone down. zero and two. And I didn't know that before the game, which is just a phenomenal stat. And I mean, just crazy. And so that, you know, hearing that during the game goes, okay, well now I feel better. But I did like, here's the thing. The Lakers won, I think what the last five or six games of the regular season, if you include the, um, playing game and there were games where ad looked amazing and then you know lebron only came on for the last couple games and you just wanted to see how healthy he was and clearly um well we thought ad was healthy because he did have dominant games but then the way he looked in game one you're like maybe he's not healthy and then with lebron we know he's not healthy because he's not driving and attacking the rim like we're used to lebron doing that he's just primarily relying on jump shooting so what you've got is a team that's a seven seed, even though they're the defending champions, playing a two seed, a really good 51 win two seed team, and hoping that they can win while getting healthier because this, the big picture is you want to win a championship. We don't want to just win a series, but losing a game two guarantees a series if you're going to win it is going six. So now you're thinking in your mind, you know, mathematically, you're going, okay, now this team is hoping to get healthy while winning this series and um, getting better because keep in mind, there's new personnel on this team since AD and LeBron got hurt. So, you know, they're trying to figure out how to work, you know, Andre Drummond in. And then, you know, Ben McLemore hasn't played a minute, but he wasn't on the roster when those guys initially got hurt. And then, you know, it wasn't like uh, they had tons and tons of minutes playing with, you know, Marcus All and Wes Matthews before, you know, one of them got hurt. So they're, they're re-familiarizing themselves in the playoffs while trying to get healthy. So, and, and the thing about Phoenix, which I, I should have known that they were a good defensive team, but what they showed even last night too, is they're a really, really good defensive team. And if they would have won the game last night, I wouldn't have been surprised just because this isn't the hundred percent healthy, you know, defending champion team. And, and part of that is um, because they're not healthy and they're, and they're not, you know, uh, it, it, you know, uh, the, perfect version of this roster, but there's also guys who are new to this team that weren't on the team a year ago. And we still don't know if those are upgrades, you know, Montrez Harrell didn't play yesterday. So, you know, uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder is he better than Rondo? Well, last night he was better than anything Rondo could have ever given them. You know, and Rondo was great, you know, when it came to, you know, running the offense with the second unit and hitting wide open three point shots. Well, what Schroeder did last night was something that was so necessary because, you know, they can't rely on those two guys by themselves to carry them for 48 minutes. They can do it for the last five minutes of a game. Yeah. Um, but but I, I don't think this series is over. Not not by, Look, if Chris Paul can't be 85% of Chris Paul, then I would say, yeah, put your money on the Lakers. But I'm not going to jump to any kind of conclusions that the series is definitely over because it's not, especially if, you know, you see what uh, campaign did and you see what DeAndre Ayton's done in the series. It's phenomenal. Aiden's been good. He's figured out his role. He's dunking more. He's in the right spots. He he knows how to do his uh, pick and roll, and he he's just a really smart basketball player now. And he's been good defensively. But like uh, the the broadcast I had written down, I was like, they really want Drummond to be a thing. Like they were really talking. I'm like, he's he's doing his own. okay. They were all in. Like they were 
Harlem was just beside himself. The double double, I think, uh, <laughs> that Drummond had in the first quarter. And I'm like, yeah, this is not all Drummond. Most of this is not a, a Drummond situation. But uh, okay, I mean, he's getting some tip ins. He's he's active, but you know, he he hasn't been great. He's fine. He's just flowing. He's yeah. vibing out there, keeping him afloat. Uh, did you think Drummond was good? Because I thought he was, like, he was all right. You know, here's the thing. He had four of those rebounds, by the way, on like one possession. Mm-hmm. He just kept tapping, tapping. So, you know, Shaq had a, a bunch of those in his day, too. But, you know, obviously I'm not comparing the two of them. I'm just saying that, you know, it was it was a very inflated, I don't want to call it hollow double-double um, when he had had it. But I think he had done enough um, to make his presence felt and not hurt the team. And uh, But the thing about him that kills me is when he puts the ball on the floor. When he puts the ball on the floor, it's like, it's just inevitable that he's going to do something bad with it. Either he's going to turn the ball over, he's going to barrel somebody over for an offensive foul. So, I, you know, I thought he yeah, – I, I think that our expectations for him are way too high. And I think that, you know, he goes in – you know, we watch every game, like, wondering, like, all right, like, prove it. And now I think we've lowered our expectations, which is what is he going to do to hurt the team today? And then, especially when you have options on the bench – who could conceivably be better options. I mean, you know, Harold didn't play yesterday, but, but, and Marcus all wasn't phenomenal, but he had, you know, he had two decent stretches and he closed the game out. Um, you know, I'm looking at the box in front of me and the bench as a whole was not good. And look, we're still waiting for Kyle Kuzma to do something offensive. I thought defensively Kuzma was really good yesterday. I thought he did some, some really good things. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and, and sometimes I mean, you even had moments you know, they, like KCP could not shoot yesterday, but he was still, he like jumped passing lanes. He was, he was not afraid. He, he was not shaken up. And like LeBron, like that meme at the end of him yelling at KCP and everything. Like, uh, he, I, I thought KCP was fine. Like, that's the other thing with this Lakers group is like, even when they're all struggling offensively, they were active and they were aggressive and they were just, I mean, Caruso, THT, all of them, they were diving, everything. Yeah, I, I, KCP had a couple offensive rebounds. Yeah, um, where where just by virtue of being the the shorter guy between him and the center going for the rebound is probably why he got it. But those were huge, especially if they're offensive rebounds. Um, where not not only do they deflate the team you're playing against, but they deflate a crowd. You know, and you know when you can sense that when the crowd's like, oh, like again, and you just you know you're sitting there in this high stakes game, and, and when you're the home team the pressure's really on you because you're thinking, you know, we don't want to go on the road for the next two games against the defending champions one, one and give them this home court advantage that we worked so hard for all season long. Um, but yeah, look, Lakers had identical home and road records this year. So as, as good of a team as they are on the road, they're not that great of a team at home. And I was looking, you know, cause KCP has just been so bad shooting wise. Mm-hmm. I was looking at his, uh, home road splits and he actually was a better shooter on the road than he was at home you know i was like hoping you know as a laker fan you know maybe we just what he needs is to get home and 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 be you know in some familiar surroundings and maybe get a shot going again and no he's he he was good in both he was 43 percent on the road and 38 percent at home so it's not like he was a bad shooter at home um but, you know, I think that their formula is, you know, A.B. and LeBron and hopefully two other guys. And we don't know who those two other guys are going to be from game to game. There's guys whose energy we know is always going to be there. And, you know, Caruso is always going to be there. And the question is, is it going to be Schroeder? Is it going to be Kuzma? Is it going to be KCP? You know, and in and, and most instances, they need two of those guys because one of them might not be enough unless you get a 40-point game from Le- LeBron or, or A.B. And I don't think you're getting a 40-point game from LeBron right now until he's fully healthy. 
Um, and uh, and some of that's also because his free throws shooting is really bad. I mean, the team as a whole, both teams yesterday were phenomenal free throw shooting. Uh, Lakers were 27 out of 31, and the Suns were 28 out of 30. Um, but three-point shooting, both teams shot around 30%. Um, and uh, Jake Crowder, I mean, look, you know, people can forget everything he did up until the one that he made, that four-point play, which was, you know, huge at the time. But um, I, I don't know if he's going to continue to, you know, miss all of his three-pointers. He missed the first five before he finally knocked them down. But you know what I learned about Phoenix last night? Because I kept thinking that the window for this team, as young as they might be, that the window for this team is as long as Chris Paul is there. And I think that they proved last night that they're, they're useful enough that they're going to get better. And Devin Booker's improved enough in, in, in certain areas. But I do think that their, their window will extend beyond Chris Paul's eventual retirement, whatever that may be. That I think that, that he sort of taught them a lot of ways to win. You know, it's not just about playing smart, but learning how to win games is so hard. And, you know, Devin Booker's a closer. So it, it's not like they don't have that guy. When, when they need a guy to get a bucket in the last, you know, possession of a game, they, they already had that guy. But defensively, they really made the Lakers work. Where, you know, there's guys like LeBron and AD where it's sometimes there's like, there's nothing you can do. And we saw that in the game that came on that finished after theirs, which was Luca. You know, uh, Tom Haberstroh sent out a tweet this morning where he put, uh, he made a list of all of the people that guarded Luca um, in, in, for all of his points last night in every basket he made, and eight different Clippers guarded him on, on you know, total for, for on all crazy. the baskets he made. We, yeah. I mean, I know we're talking about the Lakers Suns game, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, with with that, that's just like, you know, that's why you don't see M- NBA champions that don't have superstars. I mean, that Pistons team is, it's, you know, the, the lone example, but Ben Wallace is going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, and right. Chauncey might too. Well, I'm going to say the Lakers in five. What What is your final prediction on this series? I think that the one thing about this Lakers team, another stat that people might have missed, or, or I don't know if they mentioned it during the telecast, or it's just something that I'm aware of that um, they don't lose two games in a row. And I think that they also have, look, there was the game against Miami in the finals last year where they had a chance to win the series and they brought up the mob of jerseys and then they lost and they ended up winning the next game in six. Um, so they, if they go up 3-1, which is entirely possible because Chris Paul's still on the mend, um, I don't see a situation where they lose a game five in Phoenix. I just feel like they understand that if that Denver Portland series goes six or seven games, they have a chance to get some rest and get even healthier before that series. So I think they'll take care of business. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Phoenix could definitely steal one of these next two games. You know, if, if these guys can't start hitting the shots, I mean, we saw in the bubble that this Lakers team, which was not a good three point shooting team during the season was a phenomenal three point shooting team in the bubble. And if they're knocking down their shots, they're unbeatable. If they're not, then you're putting you know more pressure on on their stars to to come through. But I'm going to be interested. I think the one subplot that kind of got a little attention last night, but not many people noticed it, was the Montrezl Harrell, uh, you know, uh, you know, tweet about you know I'm just going to enjoy life or something like that. Where you know he didn't get a minute last night, and and uh, I don't think he's going to publicly create a, a problem. I mean, you know, um, but I do think that that he should at least get minutes just to keep his head still in the series because um, you don't want that distraction yeah that would be bad 
All right, Andrew. Well, we got it in there, but uh, always great checking in on the Lakers with you, my friend. Uh, you stay safe out there, and uh, we'll check back in again soon. You too. appreciate it, and I hope to hear from you again during these playoffs. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.